For centuries, humans have been growing alongside our botanical brethren. Our histories have mixed and mingled to bring us modern medical marvels, faded folklore, and everything in between. Of course, in order to understand the plant, we have to start with its roots. I'm M. Grebner Gaddis, and this is Rooted. Hello, and welcome back to another week of Rooted. This week, we're digging into a famed favorite from the Swiss Alps, Edelweiss, a plant known for its ability to thrive despite the harshest and coldest conditions, which honestly just seemed fitting given the time of year. Plus, we get to talk about goblins, so you know I had to go there. Edelweiss, or Lentipodium nivale, is a fuzzy little white flower in the Asteraceae family. It's found growing in remote mountain areas at about 5,900 to 11,200 feet, or 1,800 to 3,400 meters for all of you not in the USA. It prefers rocky, limestony soils and can be found growing primarily in the Alps and Pyrenees Mountains. Edelweiss is immediately identifiable if you know what you're looking for. It's a bright white, star-shaped flower that consists of six small center inflorescences, which are just tiny clusters made up of about a hundred tiny flowers, and that's surrounded by pale petals that make a double star shape. The whole plant is covered with tiny, woolly fibers that help to protect it from the cold and intense sun exposure. They typically tend to grow in clusters that create little white sprays across the mountaintops, staying fairly low to the ground at about 1 to 8 inches tall, which is roughly 3 to 20 centimeters. What this plant doesn't have in height, it more than makes up for in tall tales. Legend has it that there was once a beautiful snow queen who lived high up in the mountains. So high, in fact, that it was nearly impossible to reach her. Covered in a shroud of icy darkness, her kingdom was so cold that even her heart was frozen. However, her beauty was so compelling that men from all over the village below would make days-long trek, risking falling or freezing to death, just to ask her for her hand in marriage. Because if men had nothing else back then, they certainly had the audacity. The Ice Queen, not interested in being married, much less sharing her power, had one very specific rule. Anyone who dared ask for her hand, despite knowing that she did not wish to be married, was to be thrown off the mountain. It seems maybe a little harsh, but honestly, a boundary's a boundary. But here's where things really get interesting. It wasn't the Snow Queen herself doing the throwing of men off cliffs. That's where her loyal goblins came in. After so many years up there alone, the Queen decided that she needed reliable friends. So, she got together an A-team of goblins who did her bedding and bent to her every whim. She really is just kind of living the dream up there, to be honest. Anyway, it was the goblins who would throw the gentleman callers off the cliff. And it was a perfect system that worked flawlessly for years. Until it wasn't. One day, a young hunter from the village made the voyage up the mountain and into the castle to ask for the queen's hand. However, upon seeing her... His jaw dropped, and he was at a loss for words. The more he tried to speak, the further back in his throat the words crawled, and as he continued to fight the embarrassed flush in his cheeks, he fell to his knees. Here we go again, thought the Snow Queen. But, as the seconds stretched on, it occurred to her. 
No man had ever been here this long. Most were so eager to ask that they didn't even wait to see what she was like. But this man was just there, waiting, not expecting anything, not getting in the way, and she almost didn't really mind him being there, which she thought was really strange. Meanwhile, the queen's ambush goblins are getting kind of restless. What is this freak doing? He's just sitting there, staring at her, and she isn't even giving orders to throw him out. What were they supposed to do here? After hours of this, the queen had grown quite smitten with the man, but her goblins couldn't have hated him more. So, in the dark of night, they decided to take matters into their own hands. Once they were sure the queen had gone to bed, they tied up the man, hoisted him over their shoulders, and launched him off the side of the cliff. The only problem? The queen wasn't asleep. She saw everything. In her shock and horror, her heart started to thaw, and realizing she wouldn't be able to save the handsome stranger, a single tear fell from her eye, down the long, jagged slope of the mountain, and onto the rock where his body lay cold and buried in the snow, growing into a single silver star in the empty mountain landscape. In another story of love and danger, it was often said that if someone was serious about wanting to marry or pursue a romantic partner, they would make the long and dangerous trek up the mountain to pick their beloved in Edelweiss Bloom to prove their undying love, and that to gift someone that was as serious as proposing to them. For all intents and purposes, an Edelweiss Bloom might as well have been an engagement ring, and while I couldn't find any proof of this from the time, I like to imagine Edwardian-era ladies ogling over these hairy stems with the same energy they would have had for the elaborate rings of the time. Aside from being a testament to the lengths someone would go to for love, Edelweiss was also turned to for medicine and makeup. In medicine, folks native to the Alps and Pyrenees would use the roots of the Edelweiss plant to treat tuberculosis, cough, cold, and flu, plus upset stomachs but it was also used as a sort of sunblock and in anti-aging cosmetics, which is how we still use some of its extracts today. While I couldn't find a ton on the cop suppressant aspects, aside from its antibacterial properties that work against E. coli, staph, and all of those other icky bacterias, what I did find was a lot of research into the skincare side of Edelweiss. As I briefly hit on earlier, Edelweiss has developed its own natural form of sunblock to protect itself from the harsh UV rays it's exposed to way up on the top of the mountain. It's done this by developing tiny little white hairs and the lendopodic acid that they produce. Lendopodic acid is the active ingredient in Edelweiss that works to not only fight free radicals and block the process in the body that leads to cell death, but also helps to support the process in the body and the proteins that help to repair cells and encourage new cell growth, helping to repair and protect the skin barrier while also visibly reducing the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. Outside of cosmetics and courtship, Edelweiss is also a powerful symbol of strength, which likely stems from the belief that Edelweiss contained magical properties of protection because of its Snow Queen origins. Whether it was used as a catch-all antidote to poison, or burned as an incense to ward off evil spirits and pests that might destroy crops, one thing's for sure, 
people definitely thought of this little flower as a powerful symbol of protection. Obviously, Edelweiss is much tougher than it looks, which is part of what made it such a powerful symbol of resistance and nationalism in World War I and beyond. In World War I, Edelweiss was a symbol that was used to honor German Alpine soldiers for their bravery and commitment to their country in the face of horror and to thank them for their strength. In World War II, the sediment was adopted by the Edelweiss Pirates, a group of German youth rebelling against Hitler's control and fighting against the Nazis. They made a name for themselves by helping soldiers who abandoned the Nazi movement and beating the shit out of those who didn't. While they were a little more reckless than other resistance movements, prioritizing freedom over organization and strategy, they still played an important role in aiding the Allied efforts and putting a stop to Nazi propaganda. After the war, Edelweiss remains a symbol of strength and beauty for folks who live in the Alps, an important reminder of their culture and ability to persevere in the face of darkness. Of course, most of you have likely heard of Edelweiss because of the song in The Sound of Music. While they did get a lot wrong about the look of the flower, they were right about what an important place the flower holds in the hearts of those who were brave enough to resist Hitler, even as he made their homes a living hell. Shortly after the release of The Sound of Music, tourists flocked to the area Edelweiss was growing, hoping to pick their own little piece of the Alps to take with them. With that in mind, it's kind of no surprise that at one point, we nearly picked Edelweiss into oblivion. After all, if there's one thing most tourists are not, it's usually considerate of delicate ecosystems, proving that there can be a downside to the power of Julie Andrews. The good news here is that we have actually managed to reverse this effect, and Edelweiss is no longer considered to be threatened. This is thanks in large parts to the government taking a stand in protecting the flower, the public being respectful and listening to the voices of experts, and everyone doing their part to protect the plant, holding tourists and townies alike accountable for their actions in harming the plant. However, I would be remiss if I didn't also point out the privilege here. After all, this is a symbol of strength for primarily white cultures, and it was primarily white voices calling for the protection of this plant. I am hopeful that with the rise of social media and the awareness and recent rise in popularity around herbalism and ethnobotany, that we will see this same kind of response when indigenous peoples call for the protection of their sacred plants, like what's currently being called for with white sage or pinole, as it's known to the Kuhia and Kumeyaay peoples of the American West, and wild rice, or manumen, as it's known to the Ojibwe people of the American North and Midwest. In the wake of Edelweiss once again proving its strength and resiliency, it really is no surprise that it's been so widely adopted as a symbol of the Alps. While it was once viewed as a kitschy tourist trap, it's grown back into a proud display of heritage and nationalism. Plastered onto coffee shops, airlines, small businesses, beer, and pretty much anything else you can think of. Today, this furry weirdo can be found in mountains, gardens, and skincare all over the world. Next time you see it, I hope you'll take a moment to stop and really take in all of the strength it holds in such a delicate-seeming bloom. That's all I've got for this week, but I'll be back next week to chat all about a new collection of tales and truths for us to dig into. See you then! 
Until next time, be kind to yourselves, be kind to the earth, and just like a plant, drink your water. If you liked the show, please subscribe and consider leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Rooted.Pod. We're finally updating regularly on YouTube at Rooted.Podcast. And you can check out our website, RootedPod.com, for transcripts, updates, merch, and so much more. The show is written, produced, and hosted by me, I'm Grebner Gaddis, edited by Kat Friend of Friend Diagram, and our theme music was written and produced by Eric Kluxen. Rooted is a Henbane Media LLC production.